welcome to this episode of Thrivecast. Thrivecast. We're so excited to be here. Um, it's been awesome. We've been getting together with some amazing different people. Uh, last time we had Chris Baker who did uh, our tattoos. Well, not yet, but he will. There's plans We're gonna in the works, guys. We're going to get tattoos done. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to get a very satirical one on my arm probably. So that'll be fun. I'll have to take a picture of that when I get it. But um, If you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to go it. Listen Chris to is it. amazing. He's, awesome. He's doing some really incredible things. Yeah. And just like us, we're doing really incredible things today. Yeah. We have a rig like you would not believe. Ben is wearing two sets of headphones. <laughs> I've got an earbud in. We've got more cords and cables running around our tiny house living room yes. than you could imagine. It's, awesome. it's very impressive. We'll take a picture before we're done, yeah. we'll, and we'll, we'll put it up on the up Facebook there. page. Um, thanks for joining us. We really we can get some cool feedback, and we just are here to encourage people, and we're just really excited to be with you and uh, have the opportunity to to share some different perspectives. And um, today we wanted to welcome Henry Yampolsky. He is amazing. Amazing. He is a lawyer out in Pennsylvania. So welcome, Henry. Thank you, guys. So great to be with you. Yeah. And Henry um, is actually the founder and president of Living Peace Institute. Uh, he was trained as a lawyer, but he's now a peace educator, mediator, social, social entrepreneur, and a pioneer in the field of conscious conflict resolution. So um, he does some amazing things where he helps people review or relook at the way that they are handling their conflict in their life. And he can actually create legal documents outside of court. He doesn't do litigation anymore, but he can create um, documents outside of court to help people settle their disputes. And he has an amazing story. He was actually um, a, just a, like a lawyer. Um, regular lawyer, I guess. Uh, I'll let him talk more about what he did beforehand. But he ended up going to India, becoming a yoga instructor and following the way of peace. And so now he's dedicated his life to that. And so I'm really excited to hear from Henry um, about his perspective of thriving. So Henry, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. I gave you gave people an overview, but I'd love to hear more about you. Sure. Well, thank you, guys. So uh, for me, my personal story is marked uh, by several transformative events that happened in my life. Uh, so first transformative event happened in 1994 when my family and I uh, immigrated, became actually as refugees from Ukraine. We came to, wow. to small town in Pennsylvania in Scranton. We didn't really speak English. <laughs> so and he worked at a paper company. No, I don't right, know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, and and you know, Scranton, Pennsylvania is an is a very interesting place. Uh, and for me, we really felt very powerless there uh, hmm. because we didn't we didn't know the language, we didn't understand what was going on. And so that was one of the impediments for me to go to law school because hmm. I just wanted to empower people. Uh, I wanted to help my parents. I wanted to help people like my parents who didn't really have a voice, I felt. So I ended up going to law school and I became a lawyer uh, and I was do very, very successful as a lawyer. Uh, so Henry, let me ask you, yeah. um, what were you a refugee for? From like, was it a war or was there a civil unrest or what? What's refugee? Explain that for everybody. So I was a refugee, actually coming here as a as a political and religious refugee. Uh, I was Jewish, and being Jewish in Ukraine, Jews in Ukraine felt uh, faced tremendous deal of discrimination. Uh, okay. Over the years, 
And so uh, after the Soviet Union broke up, uh, there was quite a bit of unrest uh, in the former Soviet bloc. Uh, and so for us, uh, that was really a sign that we needed to get out. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to obtain uh, the refugee status and came to the States. That's awesome. Wow. How old were you? I was 14. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's... <laughs> That's quite the quite the entrance. It's not like you came out of, oh hey, I uh, you know, I just want to go visit or something. It's like no, I need to leave because that's unsafe. Right. <laughs> that's that's intense. Right. Um, I didn't want to cut you off, but I just felt like that was something I wanted to hear more about before you sure, continue down sure. your story. So sure. Yeah. So so you so you ended up coming here, um, as a refugee, and then you ended up going to law school. And how did that come about? So uh, it just seemed like uh, a, nat a natural place for me to go because I, I really wasn't good in science. Uh, I wasn't good at uh, really much uh, other than talking and uh, writing. And that's something I really enjoyed. Mm. Uh, and also for me, I really wanted to empower people. Uh, I really wanted to serve people who did not have a voice. Uh, and I felt as a lawyer I could do that. So uh, I became a lawyer, uh, and actually for a number of years, I was very, very successful, and I practiced civil rights law, and I did represent uh, a lot of people who did not have a voice. Uh, Mike, I never represented corporations. I never represented banks. I represented average people, uh, people who were going through very, very <laughs> difficult times uh, in their life. Yeah. But then, uh, the more I practiced law, the more it became clear to me that I actually was not empowering people uh, and that I wasn't really helping the tremendous conflicts that they had in their lives. In fact, very often my conditioning and my training as a lawyer uh, was actually preventing uh, the people I was working with um, from really resolving their conflict. So then I had another transformative event in my life. And that transformative event came kind of out of the blue and seemed very crazy, especially to my wife, to Julia. And that's when I started riding motorcycles. Uh, and I was working as a lawyer. I was talking to a friend. And he was so passionate about motorcycles. And I just caught the bug. The bug the motorcycle bot. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I just bought one last year, and uh, it's actually, I'm looking at it right now outside of our window, and I have to charge its battery because it's dead, but I will be out there soon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I, I get the bug. <laughs> yes, and for me, I just knew that riding motorcycles would take me on a different path in life. I couldn't explain it, but I just knew it would take me on a different path. Well, you can go on a narrower one, right? <laughs> sure. That's, that, you don't need as much space. It, it on will the take path. you on a narrower path because you don't need like the four wheel. Okay, never mind. That was wow. For me, good job, That was a dad. I'm not a dad yet, but that was the dad joke. That was All right? kind of a but dad that's, joke. That's okay. But, <laughs> well, for um, me, it was definitely a twistier path that it yeah, took that's, me on. That's true. You can probably do that too. Yes. <laughs> And so what, what, what ended up happening is that I, I uh, started riding motorcycles. And one day I was home, and I just wasn't feeling well. Uh, it was a beautiful day. I couldn't ride. I really felt very bummed out. And so I was just playing on Amazon, uh, trying to waste time. 
and, and looking for movies to watch. And I came across this film called The Highest Pass. And something just drew me to it. And it was about this young Indian yogi who took a group of Westerners on a motorcycle journey in the Himalayas. Uh, and I thought, wow, that seems interesting. And so I started watching this film, and I was just drawn in. Uh, I've never watched a film like that that really had such an impact on me. And so when Julia came from work, I, I really just made her watch that too, even though she protested. <laughs> And she, <laughs> she really she really did not want did you force feed her popcorn or what like, <laughs> <laughs> no more popcorn you have to enjoy I, yourself you have to enjoy it, was just, it was just uh, you know basically set her down she made a like, banner and a picket stick and just was like no more movies and popcorn just kidding i know <laughs> yes. if you know julia she's not like that at all so. yes she's yes. so sweet but she anyways is, so she's very sweet but um <laughs> So both of us, you know, we really moved by this film. Uh, and I just said, I have to meet this guy. There wow. was something huh. about this guy that just really, you know, he was, he was this radical yogi who didn't look like a yogi. He's this young guy with long hair, who rode motorcycles, who dressed very <laughs> modernly. Yeah. And yet there was such depth and such wisdom to him. So after watching the movie, Julie and I looked him up. And it turned out he was teaching a workshop in Virginia. So we oh, wow. went and spent five days with him in Virginia. Huh. And we're just blown away. Totally. Now, did you, did you get to talk to him beforehand or you had to, you just made a contact when you were there? We made contact when we were there. Okay. And it was an immediate, you know, just an immediate friendship, an immediate connection uh, that we had with him. And after this first meeting, it was Julia who turned to me and said, we're going to India. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, Quite the turn of events there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So we took a month off and we went to India, to the Himalayas, and spent a month uh, basically studying yoga and meditation, uh, spending a lot of time in silence and really going deep, deep, deep within. And after coming back from India, to make a long story short, I just couldn't practice law in the same way that I did before. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, in fact, everything, I felt like everything in my life, the way I saw myself, the way I saw my relationship with Julia, that what was important to me just changed. Um, and it was quite a crazy experience. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. Yes. So then for me, uh, there was a period of exploration uh, of trying to figure out if I'm not going to be practicing law uh, in the way that I was. And I was very, very successful in it. And we were very secure, very secure financially. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question became, what would I be doing? Yeah, it's not always about, the question isn't always what should I be doing, but really what's the aim I'm going after? Like, why am I doing something? You know, and so a lot of times I, I don't know, we, we're kind of even going through that. It's like, well, what do we do? Like, I can do a lot of things. I can be good at a lot of things, but that's not always the, you shouldn't just be good at things you can be good at. There's a, there's a why behind it. That's more important, I feel like. Right. But the why was so important. You know, in, in India, uh, I had uh, this experience with Anand. We went for this walk in the Himalayas uh, and it was just beautiful. You're going through this beautiful scenery. 
And at one point, uh, Arant, my teacher, turned to me and looked at me in this very penetrating way. And he said, how would you be if you weren't afraid? <laughs> I love it. You know, it's a good and, question. It's a good question. And I tried to answer this. I started answering, and he just put his hand up and he said, shut up. He said, <laughs> <laughs> I am not interested, he said, in your mind's answer, uh, in, in, in some intellectual idea that you have. Mm. Yeah. Really reflect on this and let your life become an answer to how would yeah. you be if you, if you weren't afraid. Yeah. And so for me, that became the, one of the most profound moments, one of the most profound questions that anyone has ever posed to me. No, that's good. And so, uh, again, to, to fast forward a little bit, uh, I started uh, exploring and studying different... I was fascinated with conflict. And I was involved in so many conflicts as a lawyer, but I felt I never really brought true resolution to these conflicts. I had a lot of settlements, but really no resolutions. Yeah. And there is mm. such a profound difference between the two. Yeah. So I started exploring and I became, I, I got trained as a mediator and I, I studied restorative justice and I studied different conflict resolution methodologies. Uh, and that just grabbed me. Uh, I found that that was the way that I could really serve people and that I could really create space for people to have very, very difficult conversations. Um, conversations that they would not ordinarily be able to have uh, in any other setting. And that became my passion. And then through another, another transformative event happened where I was writing for a motorcycle magazine and one, hmm. of, and one of my assignments was to interview this woman from Denmark who uh, traveled, uh, who quit her job as a lawyer, and she traveled on a motorcycle from Argentina uh, to New York. And wow, then, and like then, straight. Yes, and then wrote a book about it. And so uh, I interviewed her, we became very good friends, and then we decided to collaborate together. And in our work together, we created, we co-created this process called Dissolving Conflict from Within. Uh, and when we first started teaching it in Europe and in Canada, we were just blown away of how powerful it was in transforming, absolutely transforming the way people were experiencing conflict. And for me, this process became the perfect blend of all that I was passionate about. So mindfulness, yoga, and conflict resolution. Yeah. So my work now is at the intersection of mindfulness and conflict resolution. And what I do, what my mission in life is, is to transform conflict into opportunity for growth, connection, and dialogue. So... I, I really love your story and thanks for sharing that. And we got a lot of history there. I'm, I'm curious now with what you do, you, you know, and without going into people's names and all that kind of stuff, but I would be curious about some examples of, <clears throat> so this is called Thrivecast, you know? And so how, how do you see the concept of thriving in the, in the, in the midst of conflict and you do mediation? How do you see that? 
enter. So at, at some point, like the people who come to meet with you, I'm assuming are not, you know, in the best place, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. both parties. And so you're trying to help them get to the best place, I guess, or, you know, what, with what you can offer. So can you give me like, what does that look like? How do you how do you see people come from just struggling and surviving or you're kind of the, the conflict into resolution? Well, this is what a, what a great question it is. Uh, and there are actually, the answer is actually in four parts. There are four ways in which, uh, in, at least in my practice, uh, I see people really thrive and I, and I empower people to really thrive in conflict. So first one is really tuning inward in conflict. And, and this is actually quite counterintuitive. You know, generally in conflict, we are so focused on him or her or they, uh-huh. whoever we feel uh, has, uh, has, has injured us. And, and we're so focused on the past grievances. And so what I teach, one of the first things that I teach people to do is to tune inward. And, and, and by tuning inward, they're able to, first of all, calm down. And, and let go of some of the anger and fear that is paralyzing them. But second of all, it helps to then begin to figure out what is actually important to me. I know that I'm really mad at that person, but what, what is important to me? And so it becomes a process of self-discovery, uh, which, which just engages a very different part of the brain uh, than just focusing on the grievance of being angry at someone. And so it enables someone from, instead of reacting, which is escaping or controlling the trigger in conflict, responding. Uh, And responding is something that really arises from the place of peace. So that's the first thing that we do. The second thing is we start focusing on expansion. So again, that's kind of counterintuitive. Our focus in conflict becomes very, very narrow. Our vision becomes very, very narrow. All we can see is how someone else aggrieved us. But what I try to do with with the folks I work with is to try to take a broader step. Take a step back. Take a three step back. Sometimes take a 30,000 feet step back. (laughs) And look at truly what is important to them. And so getting from positions, beginning to go from positions to interests to feelings to values, and finally, and most importantly, to needs. Needs that are universal for all human beings, regardless of where they come from, regardless of who they are. The next step in the process is what I call observation without evaluation. So this is just changing the way we listen to others in conflict. Most of the time, when we are in conflict, all we do is evaluate uh, and change, uh, giving people ways to really change that, to really shift out of that uh, is very, very powerful and fundamentally changes the way we listen. And then the final one, the fourth one, uh, is exploration. So can we really become curious in conflict? And really mm. explore what, la- what do we want to happen on the other side? How do we want to be able to talk and think about the situation a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? 
what's really important to us on a global scale. And once we're able to do that, uh, sometimes the, the minutia that we tend to get caught up with yeah. in conflict takes care of itself. So yeah, I, I'm sorry it was a long answer, but I hope it answered. No, no, it's good. So it's a really do, good do me a favor if you can. Summarize that into one or two sentences, because I think our view, our listeners are going to be able to, you know, hear those steps, and that's good. But I, I also want to make sure it doesn't get caught. I don't want to get caught in the process. Give me the give me the bullet point. The the yes. the Twitter the Twitter post you'd post about that. <laughs> so the bullet the bullet point is there are four four ways in we can in which we can absolutely transform conflict into an opportunity for growth, connection, and dialogue. First is Tuning in. Second, uh, observation without evaluation. Learning yeah, how to good. observe without evaluating. Third, ex expansion. And fourth, exploration. Yeah, that's good. No, that's thanks. Really good I, I appreciate that because those are those are like good points you just want to jot down. And, and kind of when you're in the middle of it, you just kind mm -hmm. of go back to that. Um, so you said something that caught my attention, and I'd never heard this idea before, and I'm curious about it, and that is curiosity in the midst of conflict. I've never even heard of that concept, and I'm very curious <laughs> – I'm curious. I'm curious to know, <laughs> you know, how do you get someone to move into that? Like, and Jess what does and that I, look like? What does it look like? And like, Jess and I are both very curious people, so I think, you know – I could see that being the case, but that's not your visceral reaction is, well, uh, I'm pissed at this person, so I'm going to be curious about the observations <laughs> I'm making, right? But I think it's really helpful, and I'm, I'm like, I'd love to see, like, could you give me what that looks like in a tangible, you know? Sure, sure. So uh, there are two particular tools that I use that are called ideal visioning and future ca casting. Uh, now, and this is, this is, of course, a process. This is not generally the first thing that I would do with a person who is in conflict. Yeah. But yeah. once we get there, once well, the person... I skipped ahead to a couple different things. <laughs> right, right, right. Once the, person, once, once the person really feels that they're heard, and there is a lot to that, then uh, very often what I would do is what's called ideal visioning. So I will say, in the ideal world, in the world of unicorns and rainbows, <laughs> what do you want this situation to be like? Yeah, uh, and, and then we start from there, and then we make that very, very specific. We start painting a picture, and we want to make that picture as specific as possible. And then it becomes about, well, how can we actually get there? Uh, or sometimes, uh, you know, in very difficult conflicts, uh, there is really ideal visioning can be very tough. So sometimes I will just say to people, how do you want to see the situation in the future? Uh, you know, yeah. when, I, when I work with couples who are getting divorced, one of the first things that I ask them is to write a story of how they see their divorce 10 years from now. Hmm. What, what would they want their children to know about their divorce 10 years from now? Hmm. Uh, and that becomes such a powerful exercise because almost always people will say, you know, they want to be respectful. They want to be peaceful. They want to be able to sit together and cooperate and collaborate uh, on their daughter's wedding uh, mm -hmm. or play together with their grandchildren. Yeah. yeah. And so when you put that up front uh, and then they start fighting over a couch, 
That's what I mean. <laughs> you, you bring that back to them and say, hey, right. does this look like you're living out the preferred picture of the future or are you kind of getting caused, like lost in something here? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, it brings perspective to it. That's and, good. And that's how we engage the curiosity because, you know, when we start yeah. exploring what is yeah. the ideal vision. Because you don't, you don't think about those things. I mean, you never really want to, right? But, but if people who are in those situations where they're getting divorced, they're not thinking, well, like, hmm, you know, what? what is life after this and how can it be good? You know, it's just so painful and horrible. And I think you can bring some hope to them by ask, by these kind of exercises, what it sounds like. I don't know if that's been your experience or whatever, but that's what, that's what it sounds like. It's like, well, you're here. It's not fun, but what's the, what's the hope of the future here? And how do we, how do we keep the big picture in mind? I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. So I don't, am I, am I catching it or? Well, I think you are. I think it's more than hope. Uh, because I think when we start, uh, one of the problem, problems with conflict is that the focus gets so narrow. Um, and sometimes getting out of that not just brings hope, it can absolutely transform our conflict experience. And then we're not afraid of conflict. Mm. And then conflict truly becomes an opportunity for us to learn more, to open up, to explore, to expand. So I, I am actually not against conflict. I think conflict can be a wonderful thing if yeah. we're not afraid of it. And if we use it to harness that creativity, if we use that energy of conflict hmm. to really become very curious and to learn and to open up instead of shutting down. Yeah. That's so good. So um, now this is the question that we kind of just – ask all of the guests that we have on our podcast. Um, and I love it because everyone just has such unique views on it. So I want to know, what does thriving mean to you personally? Mm. So thriving to me means two things. First of all, thriving to me means letting go completely, radically, absolutely and unconditionally of anyone else's idea of what thriving is. Ooh, that's <laughs> okay. Good. All right. Uh, because thriving is very, very individual, and yeah. it's not about meeting someone's expectations. So to yeah. me, thriving, first, first, first component of thriving is letting go of all expectations and of all ideas and of all shoots. And then the mm. second part of, for me of thriving is service. Mm. When we show up and we serve other people. Uh, and, and, and by serving and helping are very, very different. In service, we're able to show up fully. We're able to give our, our, our utmost. Give our utmost. And... We give so much, then it actually doesn't matter. The result doesn't matter. Hmm. We're able to, to, to do something so fully that the result doesn't matter. I, you know, I, I often think of that. If, if, you, if you look at a dancer, and a, if you look sometimes at a dancer or a musician, and there is a point when a dancer or a musician becomes one with the music. The dancer mm -hmm. and the dance becomes yeah. one. You know, right. have, have you experienced that? Yeah. yeah, for sure. We're both musicians, so we're definitely with you. And Jess has done quite a bit of dance, too. So. So, so at that point, you know, it doesn't matter if you have one person listening to you 
or thousand people listening yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You just become one. You're so you, you give so fully that you be, and you serve so fully that you become you and whatever you are doing become one. And to me, that's the definition of thriving. So two things. Mm. Wow. Letting go of all expectations and all the shoots and all anyone else's ideas of what thriving is and then serving so fully where we become one with whatever we are doing. Wow. Oh, that's good. That's really good. I have a question. Like, I feel like those two are almost counterintuitive yeah or opposite almost i feel like most of the time when people talk about serving and that kind of thing there's a lot of shoulds a lot of expectations attached to that um so how i would just love to hear some more clarity on like letting go of the shoulds and then pouring yourself into serving fully what does that look like because i don't feel like in america especially and in a lot of the Western world, we yeah. do that very well. We hang on very tightly to our shoulds, and yeah, totally. then we don't give ourselves fully to much of anything. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and, and we're so divided, too. You know, there's so many different things going on, and so we're never really devoted to, you know, we don't take the time to devote to whatever we're doing. Thing. We got 15 multitasking things going on, so. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah, I'm, real, I'm interested in the same thing, Henry. If you want to share about that, that would be great. Well, sure. I think here uh, in the Western world, we're very, very conditioned uh, to, fo to follow our fear, not to follow our love, but to follow, mm. uh, to follow yeah, our fear. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so the fear is that somehow we are not going to be accepted. We are not going to be lovable. We are not going to be worth anything unless we do or have something, right? Mm. So from very early right. age, we ask kids, what do you want to do? And then that translates into what are you going to have? And mm -hmm. that's how we measure success. And that's how we And then it's like, oh, what are you worth now? Okay, you exactly. did this. You have this. Now you're worth this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. And as long as we're seeking self-worth uh, or, uh, or affirmation or validation outside of us, we are in a constant chase. And we become very, very unhappy. And that's why in America now we have a crisis of meaning. You know, the opioid epidemic, people are taking medications and substances not to become sharper, not to become more engaged with life, yeah. but to escape. To yeah. escape the deep pain of meaning that most people are experiencing because our conditioning is that all the meaning, all our worth is derived outside of us what that also means that outside of us gets to control us. So if wow. something is not to our liking, if something is difficult, if we are not getting what we expected, then our, immediately our self-worth goes down. But the idea is to shift out of that completely, radically, absolutely, unconditionally. And the moment we realize that our self-worth is not derived, from something that we do or we have, that we have an inherent self-worth by virtue of being human beings, then we don't have to look for ourselves. You know, I always I always find it funny. People say, hmm. I'm looking for myself, and I and I wonder which <laughs> you're like where 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 do you look? <laughs> where are you gonna look? <laughs> you're already you. <laughs> and and how do yes. and how do you know you found it? Yes, exactly. So yeah. then so then you stop so looking. You stop looking, and then when you stop looking, when you stop searching for something outside of us, 
to fulfill us, then we can just be fulfilled by being where we are. And by being where we are is where we can really thrive. Thriving yeah. happens now. It's not something that, that, that happens in the future, in the past. Yeah, it happens in this moment. That's and good. in this moment, we can choose to show up fully. So by showing up fully to this conversation, all of us are merging with this conversation. We're not trying to get something out of this conversation. Yeah. We're not trying to, 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 to become more validated, to, to become better. We are just engaged in this conversation. And this conversation itself becomes fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that if that answers if that answers the question. So I think the key is to stop seeking and to stop start living right here, right now, in this very moment. Uh, and then we are able to fully, fully show up and serve. Wow! Yeah, I that's love good. That. No, that's, so that's good. really good. I like that perspective. So you got just tons of amazing ideas and concepts here and I'd love to keep digging into it forever but um unfortunately it's a limited podcast so um but we always like to give our listeners a um a challenge at the end of the podcast of something that they can implement just right away so I was wondering what challenge would you want to give to the people listening to this podcast and if you can and if you can give something super practical that i can do or you know exhibit to get at that like fully living now or whatever like i'm really curious about what you have to say to challenge people so if you need a second to think about that i'm sure Justin and i can um, make some more dad jokes or whatever but but uh <laughs> i'm actually uh, i'm actually ready you're ready ready. okay awesome ready to go we didn't warn him about this he's a master he just goes for it so go for it henry (laughs) so uh what i what i talked about earlier tuning in uh i think that's that's whether we're in conflict or uh, whether we're just in life that's one of the most important skills tools that we can take so what i would like to invite uh, you and your listeners to do i'm going to teach you a, a very simple breathing technique and I'm going to challenge you to pra- start practicing this technique every day for 10 minutes in the morning at 10 minutes at night. First thing as you get up and last thing before you go to sleep. And I guarantee there are very few things in life that we can guarantee, but I guarantee <laughs> if you really stick to this, the way you are, the way you start showing up to life, the way you start showing up to this moment is going to start changing. Subtly, but it's going to start changing. So, you guys ready to do the technique? Yes. Let's do it. All right, good. So, I'm going to invite you to uh, come into a comfortable seated position. We're good. And it's preferable if you it's preferable if your feet are on the ground. If not, that's okay. All right. And just tuning into your breath. Noticing the colder air, closing your eyes, noticing the colder air, entering the nostrils as you inhale. Noticing the warmer air leaving your nostrils as you exhale. Breathing through the nose. And consciously making your breathing deeper. So engaging the chest, the diaphragm, the stomach, the pelvic floor. 
and also consciously pausing as little as possible between the inhale and exhale. So letting your breath move in one smooth, continuous motion. And as you breathe, I'm going to introduce a simple four-letter phrase that I just want you to state to yourself, uh, not out loud, but, to, but just to yourself as you breathe. So as you next time you inhale, I invite you to think of the word I. Then when you exhale, thinking of the word am. Inhaling, thinking of the word here. Exhaling, thinking of the word now. I am here now. And just stay with that for a few moments as you breathe, as you're letting the breath move in one smooth, continuous motion. I am here now. And just taking a few moments. Breathing through the nose. Inhaling, I, exhaling, am, inhaling here, exhaling now. Just giving it a few more moments. And when you're ready, inhaling deeply through your nose. Holding the breath for just a moment at the top. And as you exhale, gently blinking your eyes open. And just let me know when you're ready, when you're back. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Very I peaceful. Feel very relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is something that I teach people to do in conflict. This is something that I train mediators to practice as they are holding space for people who are going through very, very difficult times. And as I said, my challenge and invitation to you and to your listeners to just start practicing this simple breathing technique twice a day for 10 minutes and practice it for 40 days, just 10 minutes. And I guarantee I guarantee uh, to you and to your listeners that your awareness, your peace, uh, your experience of life will begin to change as you practice this technique. And this is one of the most important tools of conflict resolution. If we can breathe in conflict, if we learn to breathe with our full body in conflict, then what, what happens is actually we're engaging a different part of our brain. Instead of engaging uh, the, the reptilian brain, which is fight or flight, we're engaging the prefrontal cortex, which is the brain which that helps us. Thought, relative, or cognitive function. Like. Well, cognitive function, <laughs> yeah. connection, yeah. Intuit yeah. intuition, yeah. all Language, the Language, all that, yeah. All the things yeah. that are very, that are quite helpful for us, not just in conflict, but just, you know. Just in everyday in, life. Just yeah. in everyday life. Yeah. And that's so good. that's my invitation. Well, thank you, Henry. Okay. That's I love amazing. How that is. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that because um, I just love when people share from who they are and they're fully devoted to themselves showing up like you do. 
and and I I just think that's going to help people. So uh, thank you so much. Um, so uh, thanks for tuning in to Thrivecast. Uh, we'll see you next time. And yeah, practice your breathing and your dad jokes. See you. <laughs> thank you guys. Really enjoyed it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Henry. Bye.